Welcome to episode one of the NHS Armed Forces Health podcast, a series that aims to help you, the armed forces community, access the plethora of NHS services available. Who do I mean by the armed forces community? Service personnel, veterans, reservists and their family members. Through these episodes, we will look at different aspects of healthcare, from leaving service to finding a GP, taking care of mental and physical health, and provision for forces families. In today's episode, we are looking at the AFPPV itself, the Armed Forces Patient and Public Voice Group, and the important work that it does. For this, I am joined by Nikki Murdoch, Chair of the AFPPV, Kate Davis, Director of Health and Justice, Armed Forces and Sexual Assault Referral Centres for NHS England, and Tom Fox, Director of Thoughtify Mental Health Training and member of the AFPPV. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Why did you get involved in AFPPV? Kate, can I start with you, please? Well, AFPPV is the Armed Forces uh, Public and Patient Voice Group, and as a director in the NHS, um, and my, I suppose my experience of having the job that I have, um, I fundamentally believe that you can't deliver, fund, commission any of our NHS services without um, embedded co-production of the patient. And uh, for me, I'm very lucky to be the director leading armed forces uh, commissioning um, and the simple answer is there is no way that we should be looking at a national commissioning programme, looking at the consistency and the quality that we want for our own families and the armed forces community without having centrally a group that is there to support the patient's voice and actually to have both serving reservist families and their veterans at the centre of all that we do means that that AFPPV um, really has influence and also can challenge us um, to make quite sure that we're doing the best we possibly can for our own forces community. Brilliant. Nikki, uh, can I bring you in now? Well, I was chief executive of a small defence charity that was delivering a hospital welfare service in NHS hospitals. Um, and I was seeing the journey that patients and their families sort of undertook. And it's in that role that I learned about the NHS and the relationship with the public and patient voice and how important it was. And so I became interested in, in how the influence could be exercised for the armed forces community um, and as a veteran myself, I wanted to make sure that we did as much as we could to get the, the best outcomes for patients and their families, which is clearly the same intent that the NHS have for patients, as Kate's just said. Um, and so working as I was with the charity sector, with the Ministry of Defence, with the Office of Veterans Affairs um, and the NHS in England, but also some of the devolved nations, um, we were looking at the UK Armed Forces community and how we could best achieve the optimum outcomes for patients and their families. Tom, what about you? I became aware of the PPV through Nikki, and Nikki um, said to me during one of our meetings, actually, um, I'm becoming the chair of the Armed Forces uh, Public Patient Voice Group. 
and um, I think you would um, you would be good on that group, you know, as a member of that group uh, and adding some input. I've been experienced of using the services, the NHS services myself, and um, what that was like for me. And so using that experience. As a veteran. Yeah, as a veteran, yeah. Yeah, suffering uh, with a mental health, uh, mental health uh, illness. And so bringing that experience to the group and having some input in about into the, the way the services are structured now, what we can do to get those um, changed, how we can improve those, and then working with uh, Kate, the commissioning team, etc., and having input with other veterans that have that perhaps also access the services as well, um, and giving some guidance to the NHS about how we felt about it and, and perhaps how things could be changed for the better. Well, I certainly felt that that would um, help other veterans that might be, or armed forces, um, community people that would be coming to the NHS and searching for services. Uh, it's not always easy to reach out for help. Um, and so anything that I thought that I could do to make it easier for people to reach out for help and for that help to be there and be adequate and fit for service uh, would be a positive and, and would be well needed. Some really interesting points there from all of you. And we're going to delve into some of those as we carry on going through. So thank you. We know that the AFPPV stands for the Armed Forces Patient Public Voice. But what actually is it and how does it fit into the wider context of the NHS? Well, I guess there's two two answers, Alice, that I can give you, because I think it's important to see it from the formal and legal context as well as the actual heart and soul, if you like. So um, the NHS commissions billions of pounds worth of services across, um, and I can only talk for England as NHS England. And it is quite rightly the legal requirement that we can't commission our services, we can't create new policies and new services without consultation with the public and with the patient group. And I think people listening to this podcast will probably know uh, things that are quite familiar in things like when someone says they're a friend of a hospital or they're part of a group looking at cancer services and how they're developed or when there's a new building that's uh, been developed for primary care in a local community, then there may well be a notice about the consultation about is that the right place to put it, etc, etc. So that's how the legal requirement works. So when we as NHS England took on the legal responsibility for commissioning um, the in partnership with the Ministry of Defence, with the Department of Health and Social Care, and with the public, um, Armed Forces Commissioning and Services, it was one, a given legally, but it was actually the second part, completely and utterly a necessity to include the patients, the public as part of what we were delivering and what we wanted to um, develop further and actually say, how do we do it? What's the best way? What does that feel like? Is what, How does it um, actually practically, because, you know, as NHS uh, managers and commissioners, funders, we can come up with some great ideas. Uh, we can continue to deliver services that we've always delivered, but they aren't necessarily always the right thing for very specialist areas of patient pathways or for people. And so the public and patient group, the heart and soul of it, was actually reaching out to uh, men and women who were serving, who were families, and we mustn't forget the families and carers in this, and also who are veterans to say, could you, would you, be part of a national group that sits within the governance of all of the work that we do in commissioning multi-million pound and even billion pound services 
to be central, not only as part of a group of men and women who are part of the armed forces community or have been, but also then being members of other boards, other committees, so that when we're doing some very formal work, we also enable Nikki as chair or other members to then be part of other infrastructures and groups, because that's the back to the second part, that's the legal part to to support and make the, the most of it. So it's not just a talking shop. It isn't, and thank you very much, that's a really nice conversation, but, you know, well, we'll come back to you when we're ready. It's all about integrating it across the whole system. And and I will be, you know, kind of dishonest to say that there haven't been some really challenging moments and really heartfelt, really difficult stories um, that have come through the patient and public uh, group the group of people and Nikki and Tom can talk about this better than me is has been developed over a number of years um and is a small group representing basically 2.6 million veterans and many other hundreds of thousands of armed forces communities a tall order so at time it is really important that we are hearing where we're not doing the job properly where it isn't accessible in Bristol but it is in Birmingham and that's not good enough um, and then working out together how we can develop and support the services that we need within the NHS, but also maybe new and innovation. And if I'm going to say one thing in conclusion that the Public and Patient Voice has done, it's absolutely driven innovation and difference uh, in a way that I think it needs to be incredibly proud of. Thanks. That's really clear oversight of what it is. It's driven innovation and difference. Brilliant. So, Nikki, I'm going to bring you in here to use Kate's words. So who are the heart and soul of the AFPPV? Well, the the heart and soul of the group um, are people who have lived experience of a range of injuries and illness. And Tom's already alluded to his uh, mental health challenges. I equally have had mental health challenges. I've also been a, a cancer patient in the NHS. So all of us across the whole of the group um, have lived experience on which we can draw. And in order to make sure that we're representative, as Kate's mentioned, of the entire armed forces community, we've got members of the uh, Royal Air Force, the Royal Navy and the Army because the challenges they face are are different. Uh, there's lots of common uh, elements as well, but but we need to have representation from all three services, and the Royal Navy includes the Royal Marines. Uh, but we've also got people who are currently serving in the armed forces. We've got reservists. We've also got veterans like Tom and I. Um, but on top of that, that the demands made on the armed forces community place significant demands on, on the families. And so we have family members that also represent the serving, the reserves and um, veterans community as an integral part. And they've got lived experience of perhaps children who've got special health needs or special um, circumstances that need to be taken account of, the mobility of, of military families. So all of those things are represented in the group. But additionally, because, uh, as Kate's already mentioned, the partnership is so important. 
We work very closely and have members of the Ministry of Defence on the group in both the People's uh, Directorate but also the Surgeon General's Department. We've got all three families federations represented and we've got some charities represented who have specialist expertise that uh, reflects part of the work program that that Kate's um, team run. So we've got Fighting with Pride, we've got representatives um, of the Women's Royal Army Corps Association to ensure that the expertise we've got around the table um, can be drawn on by the NHS Armed Forces team. We have um, a continual dialogue with both the Armed Forces team and within the group to ensure that we're keeping current because there's an awful lot of change going on for the NHS at the moment. And it's really important that our group have a, a good understanding, a robust understanding of, of two very complex areas in terms of defence and the NHS. And we do that in a range of ways. So um, Tom, for example, is on the clinical reference group, which is a group that is made up of clinicians who are looking at the clinical elements of the service. Uh, and we have advisors, expert advisors like Tom, with lived experience, who contribute to that particular group. We've also um, contributed to research uh, when research is being done on, for example, the um, issues facing ethnic minorities or issues facing women or the LGBT community. We have experts who are um, a able to contribute that lived experience. Um, we've also um, been asked for our opinion on some issues that um, need resolution and we've convened the group together to uh, have really good strong robust discussions and to then make a recommendation to Kate and the team um, and that's that's been really um, empowering actually because we have been able to influence it at quite a high level. And we're going to talk about some of those um, achievements and influences that, that the AFPPV has done but just I mean this group sounds incredibly powerful, diverse, hugely representative. Um, and I can imagine if as, a, as an armed forces community member, I would feel really reassured that I had a sort of a voice at the table and I was I was being listened to. But how many people are there? It sounds like there are sort of hundreds. We, we have quite a small group of, of lived experience people on the PPV. So there are six independent uh, members. Then we have the organisational representatives. But one of the joys of the armed forces and the camaraderie that it breeds um, is that we have our own personal networks that we can draw on to gather intelligence, information, experiences across a, a range of networks. But the joy of the, the PPV group is that um, they've undergone some specialist training, which makes them expert advisors in terms of understanding clearly what their role is. So there aren't hundreds of people. It's it's a, a, a discrete group of experts who understand their role within the NHS and then use their own networks to, to draw on um, ad advising and and helping to inform the NHS decision-making. Brilliant. Thank you. So, Tom, 
Now, as a, an AFPPV member, why do you think it manages to drive in, innovation, make a difference and influence change so effectively? Building on what Nikki's just said there, um, we are such a diverse group. We really are. Um, there's a great big, there's a real range of experience, um, you know, service times. Uh, so when people served, where they served, how they served, who they're linked into. A lot of people on the PPV actually have um, channels, you know, like uh, social media channels, um, and they're listened to by the armed forces community in, in lots of different ways. And so um, getting the message out there. Um, about what's going on within the NHS, but also listening to feedback. You know, what do people want? What are people saying? What's what's the word on the street? If you want, you know, what's the jungle drums doing? We can we sort of get that that beat coming back through to us as well, and that helps us when we're um, having our meetings on PPV. There's a real desire to drive change and to work with the NHS as in this, you know as a as a as a partner. You know, we don't feel as if we're bolted onto the NHS um, because the NHS have to have to have a PPV, for instance. We really feel listened to and part of the group and. You know, I think that's really, really good. We've, you know, it's a really good work ethic that we've got. I suppose just, just sort of quickly, what, what are the limiting factors? Because it, you know, there must be some. Well, the NHS is a is a massive organisation. You know, it's huge, and and same with any organisation that's huge. Um, trying to get the message in there, you, you know, you're not talking about getting the message to two or three people. You're talking about getting it to <laughs> to hundreds of thousands of people within the organisation itself. One of the biggest challenges we come up with, though, I think is geographical. And, and we're very lucky that the NHS is doing what well, the NHS, NHS England is um, doing what it's doing because, you know, we're seeing such a massive push. This focus is NHS England. And a lot of people, again, don't realise that we have um, devolved nations and they have their own NHS services. So one of the things that I hear constantly uh, from veterans, from families that want to access services is, well, this isn't available in my area. You know, I live in Glasgow. Um, I live in Cardiff. Uh, and that's a frustration. That really is a frustration because they will, you know, quite rightly say, well, I served in the, the British Armed Forces, so I deserve parity, parity of service. If, you know, why has so-and-so in London got this service or so-and-so in Yorkshire got this service, but I haven't got it just because of where I live. Uh, and that is, you know, when we talk about health inequalities um, in a minority group, <laughs> I, think, I think that really pinpoints it. You know, it's a massive health inequality because they feel that they've given service to the whole of the nation but are then limited on any service that they can have in in sometimes their 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 their, their real time of need, um, a time of struggle, um, and that can be, you know, very very um, negative in the way they're feeling about themselves. Kate, is there anything that you would like to say in response to that? Um, just picking up the devolved administrations work. I mean, I think one of the things that we do do. I mean, I was on a um, a major board that's been going for many years called the Armed Forces Partnership Board, which is co-chaired by. Um, the Director General of the MOD and the equivalent director within um, the Department of Health and Social Care. And that actually has a remit to bring together default administrations to support and build on good practice. So, um, you know, I was only um, listening to what Scotland were doing. Um, and, and certainly, you know, we visited Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland, particularly to share good practice both ways. And it may not sometimes be called the same thing um, but there may well still be the same systems in devolved administrations and I think that's where I would pick up Tom's point it's that frustration about how we communicate some of those things when you're looking you know it's, it's an interesting concept isn't it you know that the one government department that is a UK government department is the Ministry of Defence and so it has a unique way and sometimes not always an obvious way of, of blending when you're a military personnel 
and then you become a civilian or your family is still living in Scotland or in Northern Ireland or in Wales or, um, you know, in England, how do you, you do that element? So I think that's a really important point because for the military community, that that's, has to be a given. I think actually one of the PPV groups, things PPV did before COVID, and I think they did a roadshow and there, there was never a, um, a group when we didn't meet in a different part of the country in England. And so we were in Coventry, we we're in Birmingham, we were in Brighton, you know, we were in Newcastle. And actually also inviting people from particularly the NHS or other public sector, third sector, independent bodies that were working in York around the armed forces community or even just working in York around the NHS and say, come and listen to some of the situations and making it quite local as well as making it England wide. And that was incredibly powerful. And actually, we managed to get, we moved mountains in getting local areas to go, oh my gosh, if that's happening down the road in, you know, Doncaster, why aren't we, why don't we have that in, in York and, and in Newcastle or wherever? And it's just really not about calling people out because everyone wants to do the right thing. It's actually also saying quickly, we've learned lessons in doing it this way. Let us tell you and let's support you how to do that. So, you know, there are lots of things that the PPV group are driving us to do to to keep that network and also to keep our finger very much on the pulse of, of ensuring that it's there. But my biggest aim, this is an NHS England group. Let's not, you know, kind of beat around the, kind of the edge on this. It has to be there to influence NHS uh, commissioning and services. And it absolutely has done that. Um, in particularly looking at specialist services and pathways. But one of the things that's probably the, the hidden hero here with the, the public and patient voice in the way that it's it's been a small group that's reached out is just everyday mainstream business in the NHS. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a V for veterans mental health services, how it's influenced the generic mental health services or the generic work in hospitals. And that's a powerful, powerful um element of work that that uh, really can you know kind of have a lot of influence but not necessarily get a lot of attention the ppv as you've said earlier is a legal requirement so it has to happen but you know from what everyone's been saying what you've just said there you know it it could be a, a box ticking exercise but however the af ppv clearly isn't what has it done and why has it been so effective well, I think the first thing it did when it set up is it looked at the services and the funding that we were prioritising to develop and commission as part of our formal plan for armed forces commissioning. And it helped very much in analysing and supporting the quality and the practical agenda of how that would work for a man, woman, girl, child, boy, family, looking at and saying, that is there for me. You know, you, you know, the first thing that the PPV group did was challenge us saying, that's great, Kate, but that really doesn't say that's there for me as part of an armed forces community or a veterans community. You know, th this has got to be uh, looked at in communication, in engagement, in the personal touch. That was our first challenge and um, pretty tough one, if I'm honest with you, uh, to start with, because I think it did pull us up to say, you know, we weren't necessarily doing 
a full range of uh, provision, particularly for the veterans community and families and carers. And the way that we were working and still are very appropriately and very uh, well with the Ministry of Defence. But actually, this is about a broader agenda for serving personnel and reservists. And one of the first things we did also for serving personnel and reservists was look down a long list of um, where was the interface with military community, employment, housing, um, different access points on transition. What was the whole philosophy that we were working together on mental wellness? The other elements that are probably quite well known is then um, being part of co-production and modelling our big programme of work around mental health services for veterans and families, which is launched by Sir Simon Stevens, who was uh, the uh, Chief Executive of NHS England, Sir Simon Wesley, myself, but most importantly, a number of men and women who are veterans, uh, Op Courage. And Operation or Op Courage is the, the name that, that oversees three distinct areas of the way that we access and support veterans and families around mental health needs. And actually, just it's a small thing, but it's a major thing. When we were developing the mental health services and alongside the PPV group around transition and intervention and liaison access uh, before before leaving service, but actually, even if you've left service 20 years ago, how do you really know it's there for you in Block Right and Blackpool or wherever? Then there was a, a real uh, moment from the PPV group saying, look, this is great. We're getting a lot of people front door. But actually, the real complexity of combat-related mental health is still not being addressed. So we then, because of the PPV influence, then looked at the second element of that development over the last few years, which is called the complex treatment service, which was very much about uh, a real wraparound intensive mental health service for combat-related uh, mental health and trauma. Um, and that was a groundbreaking moment that isn't actually talked about very much because that would not have happened without the public and patient voice saying this still isn't hitting the mark. And then lastly, um, but still this is developing, um, is the high intensity service within Operation Courage, which is there to support 24-7 crisis care, particularly looking at suicide prevention, harm reduction, but, but again, real immediacy as well. And that's our newest element of Operation Courage. And um, in fact, the PPV group and the peer element of that is the model of the service that we deliver. So it isn't commissioned without elements of peer support as part of that service. And all of those services now aren't commissioned without collaboration with the armed forces charitable sector. Again, another influence from the public and patient voice. And um, the name, um, Operation Courage, was selected, debated, consulted on by the public and patient group, voice group. And as Nikki says, from looking at other broader networks, because we had a range of names that weren't uh, necessarily appropriate or understood. And Operation Courage came along and that's what the patient voice said. That's what it needed to be. And that's what it is. So that's just an example. Um, but I think the the family uh, voice is probably one of the areas that is is um, very clearly been influenced. We ran a major consultation. We've done a few from the public and patient voice uh, with over twelve hundred family and carer members 
saying what does this feel like for you, both serving and reservists and also as veteran. And I'm really pleased to say as part of this podcast, and I'm probably the first person to say it actually on the podcast, Nikki, you'll be really pleased with this, and Tom, that we're about to uh, fund uh, alongside the new integrated care boards and integrated care partnerships uh, that are developing with the new health and care bill across all 42 integrated care boards and partnerships, a network of family and carer armed forces services. That will take time to develop and devolve because we'll be working with the PPV group and the family and carer section to say how will that work. But we've actually identified the funding for an England-wide um, family and carer network. It would not have happened without the public and patient voice challenging us constantly on that and then delivering a formula. Um, that sounds quite NHS manager speak, doesn't it? But yeah, sorry, um, yeah, I kind of something that would, that made sense to to people. Uh, I mean, it isn't just the big things; it's just the small, important challenges that come across on an email, that come across on a voicemail, that come across in a small working group. That doesn't make sense when you're filling in that form as part of your prosthetics uh, uh, renewal. Um, how do we do that, and how do we get that better? Uh, branded for black and minority and Asian men and women. What does that mean when we're looking at something that's really important alongside, you know, I'm not a military person then. I'm, you know, my background is uh, varied um, within the NHS and beyond. Uh, but uh, what we do is we come together and we work it out. I think one of the most important things that, um, we need to accept as a network in the armed forces community is that there is a huge amount of work going on and that the, I alluded to it earlier that the armed forces community can be quite vocal and it can be quite critical and I think one of the roles and functions that the PPV group has and has done pretty successfully is to get accurate information out to our networks about the great work that is being done. And nobody's saying it's perfect, but actually I think our voice is being heard, we're able to influence, and I think uh, in ensuring that the community understands that and believes it has actually led to a change in the narrative about the NHS supporting the armed forces community and I think I would observe over the last five years that narrative has changed it, it doesn't stop um, observations being made but what it has done I think is is it, it's made the NHS be seen as the key provider for health care and not necessarily the military charity sector but the military charity sector working with the NHS in collaboration and partnership optimises everybody's resources and that leads to better outcomes. And I think that has led to a change in the narrative and a change of approach in, in all of us about working together to get the best outcomes for patients and their families from our community. But it spreads beyond that because it influences the NHS as a whole. Um, in a way that that the surgery in the battlefield has has led to improvements in prosthetics, not just for the armed forces community, but for everybody in in the NHS who needs a prosthetic. 
So the improvements in a small um, population like the armed forces um, has has significant benefits beyond, which, again, has got to be a good thing. Having that lived experience must be therefore fundamental to the success and that you have achieved as the AFPPV. Although we have the PPV group for uh, NHS Armed Forces, there are PPV groups and public patient voice groups in primary care practices and uh, all the way um, through the NHS. But the lived experience um, is vital because people can draw on that lived experience. It gives it an in-depth understanding of... um, what a patient goes through and unless you've been through that it's quite difficult to to imagine it and I think that the trick for the PPV group is to ensure that you can draw on that experience without generalizing and saying well this was my experience and it was really bad and therefore everything's bad it's it's being able to identify what would make it better and identifying those particular issues that that um, don't go quite right and and knowing that it's not an individual incident, but actually these are things that could be improved um, for the whole service. And things like um, maternity services uh, care for serving personnel who um, use the NHS services because that's what they have to do. Um, but taking into account things like mobility and deployments, uh, those are the sorts of things that um, we need to draw on to make sure that the maternity care pathway is is fit for making demands, phys- physical demands on individuals as you do in the armed forces community. Um, one of the major issues is musculoskeletal um, injury and um impact and so in designing services and making sure they're fit for purpose one needs to you know talk to somebody who's going through that particular experience and that means getting better outcomes for the patients and their families because wherever there's an illness or injury there's a knock-on effect to families um and and actually yeah and I sort of touched on it um earlier but that makes it better for the NHS, not just for the armed forces community, but every patient. Uh, and it will it will drive improvement across the NHS as a whole, increasing effectiveness of the service, uh, which is why the lived experience is so important. And I think the other element, and again, this is about the, the partnership with the military charity sector, but in terms of um, resource, the military charity sector is very lucky. Um, and optimising accessibility to that resource by working closely in partnership means that a you get better outcomes, but you're also making sure that you're using resource. And sometimes that can speed up things like delayed transfer of care, because the Royal British Legion can provide um, adaptations for housing perhaps quicker than than local government so using those resources you can actually move patients through the pathway a bit quicker which helps the NHS and again that's the sort of partnership that 
um, is is really effective. So effective partnerships are absolutely key. And also, I just want to just bring Tom in here and just going back to the lived experience um, uh, answer from Nikki. I know that you've had your own challenges accessing services. How have those experiences, how have your experiences helped you to to influence change that that the AFPPV have have achieved? I think based on my own experiences, it it it, it set a benchmark for me, really, that I didn't want to see it. I didn't want to see other people suffer when they were accessing services at their lowest ebb. Um, I didn't want other people then to to go through perhaps the same sort of experience that I had, which wasn't positive. And so I set that as a benchmark. Really, you know, that's that's got to be like can't get any worse than that. Um, what can we do about it? And and so it's been working to build on from that. And, and when I do listen to people, people say, "Well, actually, you know, this service isn't very good," or because people often base their um, assumption of the whole service on their experience, isn't it? And so talking to them, and I say, "Actually, look, you know, I understand you're a bad service, but do you know what? So do I. But guess what we're doing now? Guess what's there now? Guess what's available now? You know, do you know about this? Do you know about that? So it's being able to take that experience of what bad looks like potentially, and knowing now what's happened, I can see how far the services have come. Um, I can see how different it is now to maybe five years ago, six years ago. I can see what's how much the NHS, and like I said, it's a big old um, institution, the NHS, big old organisation, and same with any big old organisation, it takes a long time for things to change and to turn around. And I'm absolutely over the moon with how quickly the NHS have actually got new services online and actually work to make sure these services are there. Because let's face it, at the end of the day, we're not talking, the service is, well, the service is important, but the person is much more important than than anything else. It's all about what happens to that person that's perhaps you know, in need and is reaching out for help, do they get it? Can can they just pick the phone up and talk to someone? Can they talk to someone that's, that understands them, will listen to them um, and actually work out who they are and what services are available for them and then plug them into the right services? So what's their journey like from accessing services all the way through to treatment and beyond? That's what we're looking at all the time. It's about the person. I mean, someone said to me a long time ago, I'm not a doctor, obviously, but someone said to me, you know, a good doctor treats a disease, a great doctor treats the person. A couple of things coming from that as well. As I said, yeah, charity sets do a huge amount of good and they have been affected by, but you know, their income dropping. But this is also where, you know, the PPV and the influence with the NHS and working with the NHS and working with the charities, this is where this is so good because the NHS fund a lot of these great services that the charities provide. And so I think that, that, that and that's key. You know, if if the if a service is provided by XYZ charity, the NHS will actually say, well, actually, we'll partner with them, then we'll provide funding for that and we'll work them with it. And and so that's so important because that charity may have not been able to provide that service anymore. You know, so we've got to always think about that. What is the NHS doing? It's funding these services and keeping them afloat um, in some instances and, and keeping them going and building on that so they can have a, a greater level of excellence than, than they did before even. Um, so, you know, th- there's so much good coming out of it. What we I'd like to see as well is this is NHS England. This is how good can look and working with other you know third party uh, you know third sector uh, the charity etc. Let's say that someone um, accesses NHS services, a veteran, a family member accesses NHS services. It becomes apparent that that person also needs help with other areas of their life, maybe financial, housing etc. You know the the NHS service will signpost out. Unfortunately, one of the things is that, that that means is that they're probably going to be talking to a charity. So I hope that what we're doing with NHS um, actually 
helps to drive change within other government organisations, such as DWP, who really need to be also thinking about what they can do to support. So I think it, we could look at what we're doing, and I think this sounds a bit big-headed, but I think we can look at what we're doing as a model for, for good positive change and how things need to be and what working with each other can actually look like. Um, and so that expands out to other departments. I think for any listener, um, any service user, I hope... I, I hope they feel really reassured by what they're they're hearing. I just want to leave everyone with some thoughts from all of you. So I'm going to ask you to go um, three questions. Anyone can answer them. Um, so just jump in in any order. The first one is, what are you most proud of having achieved? I, I think I'll, I'll start with that, if I may, Alice. I think for, from my perspective, I think developing a group of people who are um, experts as patients, but also with a very good understanding of the NHS services that are commissioned by the armed forces team, um, and and are able, based on their knowledge and experience, to influence and uh, deliver with the armed forces team an improved service or a new service is is absolutely the thing that I'm most proud of. Kate, how about you? What I'm most proud of is that we're now, without a shadow of a doubt, a team. Um, we're um, an armed forces, NHS England, uh, central and national team, which is essentially made up of lived experience, men and women, and it will never be anything else but. Um and if you have that as the, the the model, then we can carry on taking on the challenges, but also building. I think one of the things that I would just sort of say personally, it's actually about um, hearing that it has made an amazing difference to people. And the number of people I've said, oh, God, I wish that service had been there a few years ago. And it really is important is actually the barometer I think that I'm most proud of that you know that that has definitely had an impact and made a difference. Um, one of my um, armed forces um, services, they're not on the PPV group, they're someone I met recently who did a most amazing and uh, emotive uh, speech about their, their personal situation and their services, both in the veterans community and the charitable, but the NHS, and said... Um, what was really helpful is people stopped asking me what is the matter with me and asked me what matters to me as a serving person or as a veteran. And I thought, wow, what a really lovely, powerful line. And that's really made me very proud. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I think, you know, it's easy or it could be easy for the veteran community to, and, and families and reservists to, to sort of think, well, the people in there making decisions are, you know, NHS employees or MOD employees or, or whatever, and they're disassociated from us, and they're just making decisions about things and spending budget and putting a service in place. You know, it's important to understand that's not the case. You know, it, it's important to them to feel that they have a voice in this and that the people that are working with the, the people that, that have the budgets, that are putting the services together or providing the treatments um, are veterans themselves. People have had that lived experience and that we are working to... Um, ensure that the NHS um, understands, as Kate was saying there, who who's the person? What do they want? That's so so important, you know. Um, and and 
that they understand that that, 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 you know, that it is people like them that are working to get these services online and um, and available to them, so that when they access the service, they get a service that's that's excellent for them. And it's excellent for them because someone further down the line one day said, you know what, this service isn't so great. It'd be great if you could tweak it in this way for us. And that's really what it comes down to, I think. Thank you. Brilliantly put. I, th- I think it's um, about giving the armed forces community confidence that their voice is being heard and it's being understood by the people designing the services. And I think that's that's the journey, to use that hackneyed phrase these days, that, that we've been on. And um, it, we've, Kate's empowered us, the team have empowered us to um, share that experience and and improve services and and that's the nub of the issue really and i think that actually is the perfect point to finish on so thank you very much um so thank you to all my guests nikki kate and tom and to you for listening over the next few weeks we're going to be covering medical provision in and out of service the process of leaving your relationship with your gp physical and mental health and provision for armed forces families, with each of our episodes featuring a mix of experts, service users, and those responsible for influencing change. In episode two, we'll be looking at medical provision in active service, as well as negotiating leaving the military and accessing services outside. We hope you will join us. Goodbye.